Hey, this is John Willis again, and we've got another episode of the Profound Deming Podcast. Have a, a guest that I've admired for a while now. Um, I've gotten to see her at um, RSA conferences speaking and uh, DevSecOps. And uh, Tracy, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? You betcha. Thank you, first of all, for inviting me. We've had a hoot talking on a couple of other panels and other things. So it's I was really excited because it's just you and me right now. Uh-huh. Um, let's see, background, a couple of decades as software architect engineer. Uh, I keep my hands dirty in the code. Uh, I subscribe to is it Greg Lopez's uh, approach to being the elevator architect. Talk to the boardroom, talk to the engine room. Uh, or talk to the boiler room, whatever you prefer. <laughs> Spent a lot of my time, uh, especially over the last nine years, eight years, nine years, focusing on the federal government, but spent a lot of time before that with with commercial, state and local governments, some international governments. So definitely looking at big problems more recently. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, no, I noticed you've been in this, this business for a while, uh, you know, I've been in a little longer than you, I think, <laughs> which is a good thing, right? Yeah. Just a little bit, just a little yeah, bit. More, more on the age thing for me. Um, tell me, tell us about MITRE. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's one of the things that was interesting um, that, um, you know, not being a security professional, having <laughs> sort of, um, you know, I, I think, you know, I've told some people my story. I think probably the only reason I, I even pretend to sound like I know what I'm talking about with security is because of Shannon Leitz and, and Josh Corman. And and those two have been incredible mentors to me, you know, and and particularly Shannon because you know she's she coined the whole DevSecOps thing, and I just like yeah. fortunate to meet her and like tell me just you know teach me teach me. Um, so I I came about it, and you know, and I think that the thing I saw um a couple of times is like the MITRE attack framework and how mm-hmm. MITRE is so involved in in sort of NIST and all that. So tell. I mean, I think there are a lot of people who are just pure DevOps who we sort of try to understand security better. Um, you know, I'm not sure all of us know if we're not security professionals what to the extent of what MITRE does. Yeah, so it's interesting. I've been with MITRE for just over three years, and uh, in in MITRE terms, that's like counting in dog years, like <laughs> so, so reverse dog years. There are people that have been there for for decades that have been working to support the federal government. So the background. MITRE is what's called an FFRDC, Federally Funded Research and Development Corporations. Um, These are chartered by Congress. And the entire concept of these things came out after World War II. They realized that they didn't have the technologists, they didn't have the engineers, they didn't have the scientists. Where are they going to get them? And at first, the answer was, well, we'll just go employ industry, we'll ask industry. And they realized that there's a balance because industry has to make money selling things. So will you always get an objective opinion? Maybe not. Not that anybody's being nefarious, but if I have something really cool and I want you to buy my cool widget, I might try to help you make it fit into that situation. So that's what MITRE was chartered to do. We are to provide objective guidance to the government. One of the big focus areas is cybersecurity. So, I live in an organization um, that is the uh, Advanced Innovation Centers uh, in our our cyber uh, and software engineering group under a woman by the name of Wen Masters. Fantastic. And she actually said, you know, we have these two divisions. We've got software engineering and we've got cyber. That's, Mm. That's wonky. We need to pull those together. So instead of emulating what's been going on with industry for so while, we've actually pulled them together. Um, Let's see. 
The attack framework is one of many, many different uh, things that are done on behalf of the public. Um, you're probably familiar with the CVEs uh, and how guess who manages and maintains that uh, registry on behalf of the public good? That's yeah, MITRE. So they're very interesting from that perspective. I think probably the strangest thing for me, having been with global consultancies like Deloitte, is that they don't sell, like they don't go and sell themselves. I don't compete with industry. So if they put an RFP out and say, hey, we need somebody to build us a cool thing, I can tell them how it could be built. I can give them ideas for it. I can help them to architect it, but I can't compete if somebody else can do it already. So we're supposed to be that that leg ahead, that step ahead, and especially with everything related to security. And, and so what, what's sort of your day job there then? Said probably, oh. yeah. <laughs> great, great question. Right? The answer is all of the above. Yeah, um, I figured. At this, at this moment, um, I am all in actually helping the Army. Uh, we are working at the Pentagon, and we are looking at policy, process, technology in the Army. And nothing I'm saying is like secret, top secret. If you go out and you can Google all of this stuff, the way that the army procures software is the same way that they procure hardware. Project start, project end, gets delivered, then you warranty it for a year. Warranty, bad, think about that. And then you pick it up and you hand it to another organization altogether who's to sustain it, just like you would a hammer or a physical gun. And there's all kinds of ramifications that come with that. How can you do continuous anything? Well, you, you, you can't. Uh, if I want to deploy something, it needs to not take 15 months to get it through different processes, for example. And depending on who it impacts, it could. So right now I'm spending my time there with digital transformation, getting after how do you actually uh, decompose architectures that are there to be able to uh, adopt things like data mesh, right? All kinds of um, trend setting, leading edge to enable us to act at the speed that we need to. We've got to deal with those peer adversaries. But sometimes uh, another thing that I'm focused on right now is uh, generative AI. Everybody needs to understand what's coming. Everybody needs to understand where it's been. It's not new, um, but it certainly is trendy McTrendy right now. So how do we help people not to rush to adopt things just because they heard the word? They heard chat GPT. They got an account. They said, give me a little bit of Python code. They saw something. They didn't know what it was. And now they're enamored. Yeah. So that's another area where I'm doing some leaning in so that we can better understand how its effect across the whole SDLC. So pretty cool. I mean, you are both geeks on uh, generative AI. We were recently on a panel together. And mm -hmm. I think that might consume the rest of this podcast. So I'm going <laughs> to try to squeeze it near the end because you, you have some brilliant ideas about about, uh, about all this. Um so, but let's go back to sort of basics. So, DevSecOps. Mm -hmm. So, I, I mean, I, I guess I'm trying to, you know, like, you know, it was funny for me. I it, early in the DevOps movement, you know, there was we we tried to guard against anybody changing the name, right? It's mm -hmm. like, don't call it DevOps, Mark. That you know, just it's it's one thing. It's a mm -hmm. metaphor. Mm -hmm. And then, and Shannon coined it, and I'm like, okay, well. You know, it, like, in fact, when people tried to argue me, I'm like, go argue with her and tell me how how successful right. you are after that conversation. But then I think the thing for me was um, you know, I had to change and flip my like, please don't don't mutate the name because it's only a name to, 
you know, standing up and saying, I believe in DevSecOps. And 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 there, I think part of it was at, you know, the we both attend uh, you know, Alan's uh DevSecOps um mm-hmm. that runs starting RSA and and I think it was the first one where they named it the DevSecOps from DevOps, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I noticed there was just a lot more security people showing up. Mm-hmm. So I did this sort of an informal questionnaire, like, you know, when I met somebody who didn't seem like the normal DevOps crowd, which at RSA, you would expect everybody to be. Um, you would expect. For the first couple of years, it really is just the same old DevOps crowd. And, and they all basically kind of gave me the same answer, which was, you know, we didn't really think we were invited when you called it DevOps. And now you're calling it DevSecOps. I Like, I should probably stick my head in. Wait, I so all we have to do is add a phoneme and we can get a whole nother population group in the door? Right. It's all the hack. But but I guess the, the so how do you view um, just DevSecOps either, you know, so as it stands right now, is is it is there too much hype? Is, you know, mm-hmm. is it effective or where, you know, just the general Tracy view? Um, not too much hype, very right. necessary. Loathe the term. I actually okay. don't like the term DevOps anymore. Um, I don't like the infinity symbol, um, even though you see it behind me there, right? My little. I, I, uh, I dislike the. Yeah. Uh, because it implies uh, that every every case, every mission, every business is going to be able to do the same things. If we take a step back and start talking about continuous change, and how do we? adapt to enable continuous change. Um, What does that mean across the whole SDLC? It's a better mindset. Um, Now, I've been involved with DevOps before. It was called DevOps. Um, When we were back, when we were trying to figure out what unit testing was and continuous integration, what does that mean? And when we define continuous as in once a day at the end of the day, right? (laughs) But early enough that we could run things before we went out. Um, So it, it... it is not overblown that people were running too fast. Um, it's the same thing with the Agile crowd. Do you know Linda Northrup, maybe? She's from uh, Carnegie Mellon, from Software Engineering Institute. Somewhere around 2013, 2014, uh, I was listening to her at, a, at one of the Saturn conferences, and she said something approximately, the worst thing that ever happened to software was Agile. <laughs> like, Wait, what do you mean? Where she was going was that there has there had been a spike, and it, we're still trying to pull ourselves out of this. That we don't need architecture; that all teams are completely autonomous, yeah. and we left security behind. We yeah. now you're of the same age that I am. I think we're actually pretty close in age, uh, and I would guarantee that security has always been part of what you did when you were defining. It wasn't always a bolt-on um, ANA, right? Authentication authorization. It wasn't that. You're always thinking about it. You're talking about your environments. You were talking about the transition from environment to environment. You're talking about different threat vectors. Somewhere along the line, we got a little bit obsessed with going fast mm-hmm. and having autonomous teams. And some of what's happening right now is actually just recoil from having probably yeah. seven, eight years of crazy. Yeah, no, that's Bannon's. That's my that's my thought no, there. No, I, I think it's spot on. I, I same thing. I mean, like a, DevOps has been very very good to me, but 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 like I think there is a world where I'd love to be able to say we don't need to use that name anymore, right? Mm-hmm. And, and um, I I, do, I used to sort of do in some of my presentations for dramatic. I I talk about the history of DevOps, and then I talk about how proud we all, and then I 
throw up a slide and say security, and I'd take my hat and I'd throw it on the ground and go, gosh darn it, we forgot about security. But and then I'd get yelled at by other people, like I didn't forget. And like exactly. But, I didn't forget. What do you mean? That's right. But but there was this emphasis on, mm-hmm. you know, were you, you know, like if like if you could go back in time, would you mm-hmm. You know, would we have set a, a whole set of different primitives for maybe the first seven or eight years of DevOps? Um, I, I think so. I, th- I think that we may have. Uh, the world that I was in at that point was actually working at the, with different states. And I was working on a child support um, and I was working on integrated eligibility. So I was working in domains where you had to be hyper vigilant about the type of information who could gain mm-hmm. access to it. Mm-hmm. So I never had that opportunity personally to let my guard down. However, I was riding side saddle with a lot of areas where they were. And it was because it was in the interest of moving fast, protect the, if, if you, if you security people protect the perimeter, we'll be fine with our security inside. Right. And that was our, that was our mentality for, for quite a long time. You might, you might like this, John. I've actually, to the extent possible, stopped using the term DevOps and DevSecOps. And I've been successful with the Army with one of the efforts. And all that we're saying is you have to, you need to adopt modern software practices. What's modern? It means it's moving. Um, You need to have continuous change. And how do you adapt and adopt continuous change? So we're working through it. We, we, as a, as a big group, not just the army, as a big group, we've got to work towards that mindset. The interesting thing right now is that we have roles that are called DevOps engineers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Tell me what the hell that is. I've been arguing against that for a while. What's a DevOps engineer? Is that the guy that builds your pipeline or the one that does the software? All right. And, and how many levels abstracted from it, are you? And I know that there are lots of surveys that say it's a great thing. And that's supposed to be where you get your money if you want to jump in industry, but that wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> yeah. by, Wait, by creating Gary another another team to pull away. Yeah, yeah. That's right. That was not supposed to happen by definition. But hey. Yeah, but now we have platform teams. That's the yeah, that's our biggest shebang, right? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. And, and that, yeah. that's another whole area. I, I think, you know, I, I, you know, it's almost not wasting the time we have to talk to talk about the platform <laughs> with, with somebody. I who literally, I'm, I'm enjoying this conversation with. <laughs> let's let's stay on the positive stuff. You know, one of the things you said I thought was really cool is, um, you know, that I don't probably and actually about 2018, 17 or 18, uh, I started. Um, I, I met Topo Pal. He was the first fellow at Capital, and we all know Topo. Topo is brilliant, and uh, yes. And an awesome person, and uh, and I, I started meeting him through Gene Kim's. You know, had this organization group that we we do these papers, and and I I I go. You'd love this. I'd go and I do these. In fact, well, probably the main reason I got interested in security was um, I do these um, interviews of companies. So, you know, somebody would uh, a, a, a secretary of a, a not a secretary, but. Um, uh, a chief of staff of, of a particular CIO would tell his CIO, you need to bring this person in, you know, and, and they'd say, why? And he'd say, well, he wrote the book on DevOps. And then and then they'd say, well, they all say that. And he'd go, no, no, he wrote the book on DevOps. And I, I'd go in and I, I was independent at the time. And I'd, 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 I'd literally say, hey, you know, here's the deal. I, I'm not trying to do any long-term work. My gig is I'm going to go interview all your people who have fingers on the keyboards. And I'm going to tell you the truth. 
and you're not going to like it, but you're going to mm-hmm. pay me anyway. And I'd go interview your hundreds. And so there was one bank, one of the largest banks in the world. I interviewed like 400 people over a summer. And in the stories I would hear would just be soul crushing. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, that we don't tell auditors things they don't already know, or they, you know, we, we use the same, um, you know, um, TDD print screen print that we've been using for years. And so I went to Topo and I, I, um, you know, I, I said, this can't be so Topo. This just can't be like the way it is in large banks. And he's like, it absolutely is. And so in 2019, we wrote a paper called uh, DevOps Automated Governance and mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, we went back and now now it's a book called The Magic Sun Limit. But the long story short was, and I'm getting to my point here, is um, we called it Dallas Automated Governance. And and I was having a conversation with Shannon um, at one point, And she said, you know, that name, she, I'm, I'm totally paraphrasing because I don't know exactly words, but something to the extent of that word stinks. And, and that phrase stinks, DevOps Automated Governance. And she said that. Mm-hmm. You know, I know what you're talking about when I see you present, but like all my peers in security, they they think we've already done this. We got Archer, or you know, or and 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 we brainstormed, and and she helped me sort of come up with, and I don't know if it's the right word, but modern governance. Mm-hmm. You know, just different from you know, like the, to your point, like can we stop using DevOps with something like modern software practices, mm-hmm. modern governance? So I, I've been trying to tease that out, although, you know, I haven't really, you know, I'm not. My I'm I'm behind it. If yeah, you yeah. say modern at first, the first time somebody ever said it to me, it's like modern. The hell does that mean? Does that mean 1955? <laughs> right. Because, if, and then we have the eighties, which is postmodern. Yeah, 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 yeah. But then I was, I actually adopted it and swallowed my pride on that one. Cause I didn't like it at first. Right. But it really does reflect continuous movement. Modern means now. Modern means the direction that we're going. So modern software practices are continuously changing. Okay, great. Modern governance will continuously evolve. Okay, great. I actually kind of am getting behind that term right now. Yeah, yeah. No, I I think it it is the right way to describe. I mean... um... I, I even sort of made the 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 like I could have got punched in the nose if we were in person. I I, I said, what about cloud native GRC? And I literally I, I felt like I was good. If there wasn't a virtual screen, I would have been punched in the nose by Shannon. But like, no, don't go there. But but the point being, you know, I think there's a a way to say like there's a world which there is a line, and maybe mm-hmm. it's something like cloud native. And not that you can't do security for anything post cloud native. But but the point being that is a world where it sort of necessitates mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. your point, a world mm-hmm. that's changing rapidly and can yeah. adopt change at speed. Well, can you imagine that there are still places where the cloud is not the best option? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know yeah. that's scary. I know that's scary to everybody, but not all software is cloud-based. Not right. It, it, yeah. right. We forget that there is an amazing world of embedded software. It's it's incredible. And we forget about that. And can you apply the principles that we espouse are DevSecOps to that, well, you bet your bottom we can. Um, but again, it gets to, we have so many hype phrases right now, right? So the hype word since November is what? AI. All you have to, say, all you have to do is say AI, and that's the hype word. Yeah, um, cool. yeah I think it was Dave Linthicum this morning or yesterday posted something cute saying that, you know, it used to be that all the businesses out there when when cloud was the word everything every product that they had every service that they provided to you had cloud 
he, I think he called it a cloud washing thing. So you cloud washed everything sure. yeah. right now we're AI washing things. Yeah, no, no. So, but, um, you know, kind of tracking back the words matter. The concepts are more important. I believe that there are, we've caused a lot of almost, almost like mental division for people because now it is, I've got my, I've got my architect and my developer and I don't need architects. That's a whole nother conversation for later. So I've got my developers and then I've got my DevOps people. And now because my DevOps people are not really operations, they're more dev people, but they're only doing the pipeline and now need SREs. So we are so hung up on labels that we're not taking that step back and saying, okay, what the hell are we trying to do here? What, what are we trying to accomplish? What's the value that we need to deliver? Do we have organizational constraints? Great. What kind of humans do we need to solve these things? If I look at the SRE, uh, information and say, yeah, that's what I need to apply here. Awesome. But we're getting so caught up again on labels, uh, yeah. you know, and it's, it's always been that way. The one yeah. thing I'm happy about is that it's not as, as tool first as it used to be. We're, we actually, do, we say the word culture. Now we just say the word culture. We don't actually do anything about it, but we say the word culture and we talk about people more. So at least it's not tools first all the time because that's been epic failures for us for decades right yeah and so. i think that the uh, you know the thing too is you know um you know i i, I think you're right it, it is better but we're still um i think we're you know i mean again i think it's you know not to get too meta but it's a human condition that we mm -hmm. tend to sort of work around labels and then figure our way in and that's because we don't communicate really well too so that's why we can you know, take SRE, see somebody who talks about SRE and and then you see the vision, you know, the biggest thing I see with SRE, and I think we actually discussed this and one of the things we talked about is where people will, um, you know, there are people that are sort of resistant to change. Mm -hmm. Part of like a, a classic, you know, idle service management group. Mm -hmm. and, and they're constantly told they need the DevOps and they're like, ah, you know, just go away, you know, and then they come back, go away. And then finally they, they see, you know, um, SRE, um, you know, DevOps uh, or SRE inherits DevOps or whatever the nonsense that, that, which, you know, not really nonsense, but like, I think it was something that just got used improperly because mm -hmm. then the service manager groups, the DevOps folk come back and they're like, Hey, and they're like, we're DevOps now. What do you mean? Wait a minute. <laughs> I was here two weeks ago. You weren't DevOps. No, no, no. We're DevOps. No, we're, de we're definitely DevOps. Because, if, because we're they applying say, them. you know, like, and we, we are SRE because we've been, you know, like, and, and, and that, that's, you know, that, that's a terrible sort of like, um, um, you know, offshoot of what, what was supposed to happen. Like, just mm -hmm. like, the, like the DevOps teams, like you mentioned earlier, right. That, um, that sometimes like the phrase or the word, you know, agile. I love that. The thing you said about Linda Northrop, right. Like, you know, the, the worst thing that ever happened, the, the software was agile, right? Like, mm -hmm. I, I hope that's not what we'll be saying about DevOps someday, but. but. Um, I think it will, the word will die away and the benefits that we're gaining will, will continue on. There are a lot of bad habits that are happening that we still have to peel away. Mm -hmm. We're going to continue to be crunchy with all of this. It takes, we have to get after the next generation. I think that's a really important thing right now. We don't have enough people in technology um, who we need engineers. Yes, we need developers, but I need tech, I call it tech adjacent. I need people who understand, who live close to it, right? Yeah. Who are doing, they're going to be enabled in, in different ways, but there has to be 
I'm, I'm finding on that triangle, you know, you draw that triangle where we've got all these junior people and you've got some, some gray beards like us at the top. There's a middle section there that I'm not seeing as many um, growing up into that kind of mid-level leader, technology leader. And I want to see more of that. Um, yeah, that's probably that, a concern. This is the area where I'm like, okay, the the old fat white male wants to talk about women in tech. Um, you know, they, Hello. No, I, I've seen you. Been heavily about, I mean, from my perspective, um, you know, the thing that it just it breaks my soul when I sit in a room and it's, you know, 2023 now, but like within mm-hmm. the last three, five years, you know, there'll be, you know, the room will be 96, 97% white male. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, you know, and I, I, you know, I try to, um, you know, in a different life, I would literally just sit somewhere between 11th, 10th, or 11th grade and just mm-hmm. convince young women that, I can't, I try to tell my my relatives, their daughters, their granddaughters, like you know, I cannot tell you how prosperous this industry is and how much we need um, better leadership, better just yeah. diversity. And I, I I noticed that you know, of course you 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 know with you know your posture in the industry that you, of course you'd be involved in women in tech. Mm-hmm. Help me. I mean, I, I don't know. There is no right, right answer, but but just it just seems it it you know. I, I don't. I mean, I've been thinking about this problem way shorter than than I'm sure you have. But at least since the beginning of DevOps, where I got to meet all these incredible young, brilliant women, mm-hmm. and I heard these you know sort of terrible stories about how how you know they can be treated in this industry. And then you know now even today when I look out in a room and I'm you know in in, in a, you know speaking to a thousand people and I just you know, sort of pit in my stomach. I've been taking notes. I've got all kinds of things to tell you. Like, when does it change? Or, I mean, again. Um, Well, consider, I was just talking talking to uh, uh, Rosalind Radcliffe. And we were talking about when she was uh, going into college uh, of the engineering degrees, I think it was something around 35 to 38%. So it was on the rise. Yeah. It's now down to 18% female. Why is that? Is it is it really because we're redirecting um, women in a different in a different avenue? Is it the workplace environment and some of the toxicity that happens there? Um, is it that we have pushed um, for longer hours? Right, everything goes rapid. I don't know what that piece is. I I do know that um, as much as I'm involved in women in tech, I generally don't put out there that I'm a woman in tech. I know it sounds kind of strange. So older brother and I, best friends, I've always been, it's an old term, I'm going to use it. I was always a tomboy. So I was always hanging with my brother, hanging with his friends, always comfortable with that. It never dawned on me when I was in college. It didn't dawn on me when I first had, you know, when I was moving through the initial ranks, never really noticed that I was the only woman. I was too busy doing really cool stuff, right? (laughs) getting stuff done. I didn't notice it. And it was about a decade ago when younger women in their career, newer in career, would say, how did you how did you navigate this? How did you navigate that? Uh, and that's where I had kind of that whiplash moment and realized, hey, we're no longer emphasizing it the way that we were in the 90s and in the 2000s. We have started to emphasize it less. We're now seeing that come back up, um, come back up a little bit more. They... It's interesting, you know, I, I have that little sign up there that says real technologist behind me. And there's a, there's a reason for that for that to be there. 
Somebody asked me specifically, could you put your pronouns in your signature? We can see that when your email goes out. And I said, no. What? I said, well, um, I am wholly supportive, uh, love everybody. Um, I'm all for every kind of diversity that you can talk about. Um, gender, race, educational diversity, all of those things matter to me. And I spent 30 years not being the woman at the table. So why are you making me out myself? I said, so instead of my pronouns, instead of you asking me about my adjectives, how about I control my adjectives? So I don't want to be a woman in technology. I'm just going to be a a real technologist. So that's kind of the backstory uh, behind it. I don't I think one of the things that we have to do is continuously look past any of the trappings of what we see. If you and I were just talking, you wouldn't know if I'm green or blue. You wouldn't know. And you still don't know how I truly gender identify. You might be able to guess, but does it matter? It, it, it doesn't really matter. Um, so part of it is the next generation coming along and helping to educate them. And I don't necessarily mean just the 20 year olds. I mean, uh, I got to lean in with that 40 year old millennial and you know, how, what did they think and what are their perceptions? So there's a, there's a lot of work for us to do. I also am one for uh, advocacy, lifting other people up regardless. I'm looking for the idea and lifting them up and making sure that there's a really brilliant tapestry right, of all of these diverse thoughts at the table. You know, I I don't know you that well, but just in a couple of longer conversations we've had other than just shaking hands at a conference, I can see that you're that kind of person that that does sort of, I mean, that's always been mine, help everybody, you know, and again, it sounds platitude, like, yeah, of course, this guy's going to say that, but but my in, in my career, and I tell my young, my young boys, same thing, I'm like, you know, just just, you know, get out there and help people. And and it just comes back. You mm-hmm. know. It comes back in, in spades, as my, my dad used to say. It'll come back hey, in spades. No, no doubt. Um, all right. Well, then I guess we got to move on to the dreaded of chat GPT discussion time. <laughs> How fun is that? I was holding off. I was looking at the clock. Could it be closer to an hour? Maybe I only have five minutes. But oh, no. hey, I can I can take you. We can meander down all kinds of other topic I avenues if you want to. I mean, no, I, I think yeah, no, I, I think you have a you know we we both you know again we were recently on a podcast and I think we had a, a shared mindset on on um on what this is all about. What does it really mean? What's the hype? What mm-hmm. and so I'm just going to turn the mic over to you and and people who are now and again probably most people here. Are, you know, going to be a majority of DevOps, some DevSecOps people, and I'm starting to get some sort of Deming people who are poking mm-hmm. their head in. Okay. Um, Tracy, tell us what this, you know, what is the, the separation between the reality, the hype? What is the good stuff? What's the bad stuff? So at the end of the day, yeah. it's a large language model. You know what that means? It's a model. It is, it, it speaks with authority, which is why people are so tickled with it, right? It's a, it's, they're playing with a toy that appears to have this human quality to come back at you. Um, the lang- knowing, first of all, starting with the mentality that it's a language model, really cool language model, ever growing multiple different variations of language models. That's, that's really cool. We're still in control. It is not sentient. It does not think on its own. We have to remember that. I, did a, I do a little mini podcast with Mark Miller. It's called 505. It's about a two minute entry every couple of days. On Friday, I decided I was going to, my entry was, I was going to have chat GPT write my podcast. 
right? Write only two minutes of, of text. Okay. That normally takes me oh, about five minutes to write that. It took me the better part of an hour to create a prompt that could understand my target audience, that could understand my voice by having um, samples of what my writing style is uh, in order to be able to get at something that that worked well for me. So I say that because with a model, a model is only as good as the prompting that you're giving it to give you something back. So we're going to see a lot of emphasis on prompt engineering. You can go out and get, if you're a marketing person, you can get awesome cheat sheets that are out there right now. Not as many for software architects, software engineers, not as many cheat sheets yet. I'm working on it. <laughs> I'm working yeah, yeah, on yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So how is it going to affect it? <clears throat> If I think about, I'm not going to talk about production environments right now. I'm not going to talk about for, for the moment. I'm going to think about the whole creation process. The model has to be trained. The model has been trained. The model models will continue to be trained. It's only as good as the information that's put into it. Okay, whose code was put into it? If you're using Copilot, well, that Microsoft GitLab, right, or GitHub turned that loose and looked at all of the all of the public source that was out there. Didn't necessarily analyze it for quality. Didn't necessarily train the model for quality. Um, so the model itself is only as good as the data that's going into it. So it'll it'll get better. But where do you see it being used? It ain't going to take your job soon. However, it is going to impact everybody's job. Uh, I'm using it. I'm playing with it for generating user stories. I'm going to be able to take somebody who's not so good at translating uh, into uh, you know, like Mad Lib format, you know, as an X, I need to blah, 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 right. so that I, they will get a leg up because they can say in natural language, I want to be able to do this right. and then say, generate a user story for me. So we're going to see that type of transition places where if you think about low code, no code and the democratizing, right. Um, coming up with those citizen coders, yeah. you're not going to quite see that, but you are going to see requirements. You are going to see uh, other types of functional outputs where people are going to be able to just speak language to get at it. Um, it's 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 across the full SDLC. I watched a, a really interesting uh, proof of concept yesterday, uh, generating three D models. Uh, it was it was beautiful and it was wonderful. And I didn't couldn't zoom in close enough to get after that code, but it made me want to go and you know put in those prompts and see what I could get after. So it's we are going to waste more time mm -hmm. playing with it up front and learning about it. What I'd like to see is a smaller group actually focus on that. Let's do let's let's quickly do that research and start to surface that out. Here are some leading practices. Here are the gotchas uh, on where it could where it could bite you. Actually when we're at RSA, one of the things that I, I will be talking about is just some of the gotchas, some of the things that are are good, right? Some some jump starts and some places where you have to be thinking about Am I crossing a security boundary? Uh, am I putting information in that we don't own the ultimate model and could be leveraged against me? In That's brilliant. No, um, you know, I think you you just hit on, uh, you know, um, you know, I mean, the the AI ops, the ML ops, right? And and, and I'll, I'll probably say this in that I I haven't dug deep enough into those things 
to to really make a judgment, which I'm going to sound judgy here, which is, you know, God bless all of them and mm-hmm. all the work. But um, but I, I never saw, um, you know, I, it seemed like a lot of, um, again, I'm using words, so I might get some of my friends mad at me, but uh, false starts. But I think to your point, leading practices, I mean, this gender of AI is real. Mm-hmm. And, and and I think it is, you're right, the, you know, as, you know, people who we think about, like, how do we get ahead of the good stuff, mm-hmm. um, that there probably should be a, a deeper conversation driven about practices and yep. and. You know, one of the things that you said, which is interesting, a gentleman that I work with, Bill Benson, you know, he's done a lot of work with the government. He he was at Red Hat with me, and and we work together now on this quote unquote modern governance, if, if that's the right phrasing. Uh, but he said the same thing you said. It was interesting. He was talking about not you know, not only that we've that prompt engineering is sort of this new thing, and, and I think everybody knows that, but or everybody has been paying attention. But the thing he said I thought was really cool, and you touched on it, is that. You know, we he, he's a software architect as well, sort of like you. That's his background. And, and he's like, you know, we've kind of been terrible at you know, telling software how to do things and mm-hmm. then being so surprised when, it, like, the business or whoever doesn't. And and in the sort of, like, not low code, no code, but, yeah, excuse me, um, the, uh, you, know, you know, maybe these tools can be just help us a lot better at things like, learning how to speak through this oh, yeah. situation to do better at describing mm-hmm. what we want to be built, right? Mm-hmm. Like software specifications. Absolutely. Quality, right? Where, I mean, that the biggest thing I see today is the gap between um, the people who relatively understand quality from an organizational perspective and what it means for the brand protection mm-hmm. and the people who have to, and and the arbitration, like the three lines of defense, right? The arbitration middle, and then the people who have to sort of deal with it who don't really understand the why. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a classic example of like why do I have to, you know, the the you know the all these like tragic stories of, you know, your your build getting broken because um, there was a you know a, a, a possible uh, inspection of an SQL injection, and the person's like, I don't even make database calls. <laughs> anyway, you know, uh, you know, and they're like, those they're all nuts, you know, and like, why do they have these? Um, you know, some controls? of those things have been around for a bit though. Like if I think about uh, cognitive load, and we've been uh, starting yeah. to talk about that more. There have been tools that have been around for a couple of years now that, for example, will do security scans and not just provide you with a report, but it's in your IDE and will suggest to you changes that you should make. That ain't new since ChatGPT. Yeah, that yeah, was already yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. Um, same thing with, te- like, I, I do not like ChatGPT for generating test harnesses yet, for generating tests themselves, the, the actual coded tests. Because okay. there are already things that do that. So why am I going to bother to train a model for that right now? I'm just, tr- I'm just trying to make a logical use of my time. But when you have to have annotated, annotated um, uh, test plans and you have to have annotated, there are annotated test cases, right? Not the automated, but the annotated. Right. Fantastic for that, right? Um, some of the things that you can do from an education perspective, I actually believe that this is going to turn education on its side because if I'm able to give you, I don't know whose model it is, but let's say that I'm in control of that model and I'm able to give you the prompts, right? And so I can start, you can start to be more interactive. Try this. Here's how this is going to do. I think we're going to be able to help people understand more quickly. Uh, I do like the, virtual pair programming uh, concept. Uh, it also scares the bejesus out of me because 
that model is only as smart as the model. And the person who's providing the prompt will be missing out on um, really the understanding. Like I'm sure back in your, in somewhere across your career, I'm positive that you wrote something that would generate code for other people, like code generation, like T4 templates, something somewhere along the line, you did that. Well, I did that too. And what I found was people would generate that code and they'd be like, okay, I've got my code. It works great. And they would test it based on what they understood and it would get propagated forward. We're, we're going to have some quality control challenges until, until, you know, we, people be, people understand better. We can't just have, so the thing I like better about low code, no code for democratizing access to building is that it has constructs in it. You're constrained. Somebody sitting at a generative model is not constrained with that code that's coming out. So we don't have constraints around it yet. So have you tried this sometime? Take a piece of code that you think has a security vulnerability, feed it in, ask it. I did this. It was kind of fun. It was only like three or four lines. Tell me what the security vulnerability is. Bang, here's a security vulnerability. Okay, can you create a harness, a testing harness, so that I can execute this to better understand how to, what, you know, what this exploitation right, looks right, like? Right. Shabang, guess what you got? <laughs> you've, got you've got a way to test that bad code. Well, that's being used by the bad guys as well as the good guys. So the bad guys are learning as quickly as the good guys are learning right now. But um, so I will I will continue to to just barrage you with all my thoughts yeah, around around generative. I, I think that going back to the risk control thing, like what, what I hope there is, you know, one of the things I've been uh, playing with is looking at um, Compliance Forge, right? And mm-hmm. And it just, you know, it, it's overwhelming when you look at like that spreadsheet of like, I think there's a thousand mm-hmm. controls and then there's like 300 or 250 different frameworks. And, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, the way, you know, I just did some work with a, uh, a client that is uh, involved with uh, FDA compliance, right? And so you mm-hmm. have all these sort of um, Title 21 CFR stuff, right? And, 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 and then, but they got to do SOC too. They got, I mean, when I look at just this, you know, this farmer supply chain company and, and I put up a screen of all just the different compliances that they have to deal with. And then if you go to any other industry, it's the same thing, any sort mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. and, and I wonder like, you know, the, the way, it's just my perception, the way that people are approaching this is like, they're just a bunch of like, um, you know, uh, shields that we have to sort of get around this one, get around that one. And we, we, mm-hmm. we don't really understand the context. Right. And so I, I'm spending a lot of time. I mean, I, my, my brain doesn't jump to, Oh, can GPT force all this? You know, that's not the first place I go. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do sort of think like, okay, if I can get a better sense of, are there 30 risk controls that are common to 80% of all the different frameworks? We know there are right. Mm-hmm. Then yep. if I can start there and then I like do a better job of like, describing um what this risk control and how it's described for like sort of NIST, you know, versus um mm-hmm. whatever, you know, the PCI DSS or some well FDA. so let me ask a question about this. Yeah. So let's say you're using a, a generative AI tool. Who made the model for you? Where'd the data come from? That right now is my biggest sense of pain. Yeah, no, I, I, I that's that's uh, like, there are some things like, I don't know if you know who Nick Shalane is. Uh, he was the chief software officer yeah. for the Air I Force. Don't know him. I, I mean, anybody who's been following this for a while knows of him. Uh, so he has, he has stood up 
uh, uh, a generative model. He calls it, I believe it's Ask Sage. It's an LLP though, right? He's a, he's a private corporation. Right. It's not a bad idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually believe that we need to be thinking about the mo- the quality of the model itself. Because to your point, if I fed in crap about NIST, you're going to get crap back out. So who has audited the quality of what has gone in? Um, if you ever get a chance to try, I think it's perplexity. Oh, I love perplexity. Yeah, yeah. No. I like it because it, yeah. even though it's only giving me a link to a website, it's not getting, generally it's not taking me to too many white papers and, and IEEE pubs and things. But I love to get my simple sentence and have the footnotes and see where it deduced oh, yeah. those things from. Um, I, it would we need to have that kind of toggleable auditability if I we're going to be using this to build. Doesn't have to be on all the time, yeah, but no. I need to be able to turn it on and figure out where I got it from. No, I think uh, you know. So I I um, I uh, I got I started playing. So I was writing my damning book, and a friend mm-hmm. of mine uh, turned me on to a, to one of the earliest adopters of GPT three was uh, something called Jasper. I mean, it was called Jarvis, I think, originally, but now it's Jasper. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is going to be great, right? Like, and, you know, and then I, I realized, to your point about the model, if it's a well-known subject, it will write you pages and pages mm-hmm. of accurate stuff. But mm-hmm. if it's um, the lesser known that it is or lesser is known about it. So, I, you know, the first first couple of paragraphs I was testing, like, I keep coming back with all the stuff, and I'd see something like, no, he wasn't born in, uh, in, uh, you know, in, yep. in Nebraska, you know, um, and, you know, and then there's a, a, a Jim Deming who writes no, you know, some type of other novels. And then I realized, okay, you, you know, like you gotta be really careful. And then mm-hmm. I, I did the research on open AI and that's like, you know, that it was closed the GPT three because of the investment from Microsoft. So my first concern with that was, okay, this is never going to be as great as I'd hope it was until I get an open model. Mm-hmm talked about this on that last podcast there mm-hmm. are now competing open models and mm-hmm. GPT-4 does actually accept about 40 pages so it's gotten a little more malleable but at the end of the day if we want to do the kind of things that like you're talking about or i'm talking about i need the source for the model and then i mm-hmm. need all that can and I, I think i can't remember the one from stanford that somebody just turned me on to the other day but they have a a competitive version of a of an open ai um, that's supposed yeah. to generate much cheaper, but, and, and I think my, my concern on that last podcast was, you know, that maybe, uh, you know, maybe uh, GPT has jumped the shark and we're stuck with a closed model forever. And you are more of the positive, like, no, John, I think there'll be competing models that will be able to do the things we really want to do. They may have, um, all you have to do is to, to question that. And I don't know the answer. Look at what just happened with Bard. How's, how well accepted is it? People are still going to GPT. There are lots of competitors out there right now, lots of interesting tools. All you have to do is say chat GPT and somebody's going to sign up for whatever it is you're selling before yeah. they, because there's a, a massive hype cycle to it right now. I do believe that we have to have some private models. I think, you know, putting on my US citizen hat, I think that for the, the good of the US, we need to have some U.S. centric models. If I'm working with defense, and if I'm building software, or if I'm trying to understand analytics that have to do with the tactical battlefield, 
I think we need to have those models. We need to train those models. We need to own those models. And that, and that's an okay situation. I don't believe that all models should mm-hmm. be open. I also don't believe that all models should be closed, but we're not thinking about this yet. Yeah, we're no, we're just that. rushing to, to play with the models. Yeah. And it sort of goes back to what we talked about earlier about r- rushing to, uh, to do the DevOps, to mm-hmm. do, right? like we tend to sort of, I mean, that's the human nature, but you know, and in the end, the, the positive is like that there are positives. We, that we accomplish things, right? So here's where I think it's going to be fun. I don't, I don't know if anybody's playing with this only because it only dawned on me this morning. I was thinking back to some work I had done with the IRS uh, and we were looking at modern software practices and helping them. They also have a number of all kinds of massive programs and program offices they still have mainframes. Some of the stuff is amazing and excellent and good. Some of the things they've been trying to modernize for 25 years. I do think that we're going to be able to accelerate modernization of true legacy software. We're going to have to be careful because some of it's really effective and efficient and doesn't need to be changed, right? We need more COBOL developers. Yes, I actually said that. No, I'm not going to be the person to do that. Um, (laughs) Visual COBOL, do you remember when that came out? Fujitsu published that uh, probably two decades ago. Um, But I think we're going to see some interesting use cases around things like that modernization. If I, I... There are bits of software that exist. I've looked at them and I said, okay, where's the documentation? There's there's no documentation. At least I could feed it to it and say, tell me what this does and explain to the model what the, you know, if I understand how the parameters are being defined, if I understand maybe there's, you know, they had coding standards at some point, pump that in, pump the other thing in. And not do what we have to do oftentimes today, which is we crack the code and we look at it and we study it and we put tracers in it. I think we're going to be able to do some pretty cool stuff to at least explain and document this old code. Right. No, I think you're right. You know, it's funny because um, Scott Pru at CSG, he's been a long time. He, he uh, He's one of the, the interesting, there are certain people that have spoken almost at every um, DevOps Enterprise Summit from the beginning. And Scott Pru is one of those. And and one of the things that's interesting about it is you can watch, you can go back to like 2015 and watch what he said about his company then and what they were planning on doing the next year in the 16, 17, 18. And it's like this brilliant, I was telling people like, I think you're at Scott Pru 2017. We'll start there. <laughs> but, back here. But yeah, that's right. But one of the things he did, which was they brought in this company that um, that were these people that were like incredible Java programmers, but they knew mainframe assembler. Mm-hmm. And they literally um, were able to uh, proof case an actual, which, you know, again, is this sort of mm-hmm. say plague, but it like many companies are stuck with large system of record mm-hmm. monoliths written in, you know, either COBOL or a mainframe assembler. And they actually successfully pulled it off using that sort of concept that you had, which was yeah. they, they the, the few last surviving mainframe assemblers would explain to them what the code was doing. And they'd mm-hmm. say, oh, well, this is how we do it in Java. Yep. But yeah, I think you're right. I think that at the very least, we would have a better documentation system if we just we can pick we can pick our poison. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to have it do the code conversion. That would be great. I know I, the millions, the millions that have been spent on writing conversion yeah. Um, yeah. frameworks and what was it JCLA probably. Oh, probably 20 years ago. There's all just in different kinds of companies feed it in this way. It'll convert it to that. Well, large language models offer 
right? Yeah. It, because it's a, it's a language model. So we're going to give it a language and have it convert it to another language. Great. That's a great use for it. Um, if I had enough time, if I had enough, <laughs> if I didn't sleep. I kind of say that a lot these days. <laughs> right. If I, I would love to dive into that actual, that, that, that exact use yeah. case because there is so much legacy code. We're training people on how to, right? Because we have a generation that's aging out. The boomers are only going to be coding for so much longer. You've got Gen X trailing behind. They don't want to touch the COBOL code. If they did have to, right? They kind of right. keep their head low. The youngins, you got to give them a pretty penny to even be interested. So we have to make sure that we are going to be able to manage and maintain this at a minimum, getting after that documentation. So when somebody ha does have to make a mistake, I don't have to go and shake Tracy Bannon at three in the morning because she yeah. was the last one to touch it 15 years ago, which right. is still what happens. Uh, Damon, we early on uh, a company in Europe, Bank in Europe, invited Damon Edwards and myself to do an internal DevOps days. And Damon made the mistake of mentioning that I started my career as an IBM mainframe assembler coder. Um, and like, and I hadn't touched mainframe assembler for at least 10 or 15 years at that point. And boy, it just, my day was over. I was, okay. did they all swarm you? Okay. People like, please, John, tell us, help us, you know, <laughs> yeah, no, I totally get it. So uh, ways that we can use this for good. There yeah. are ways we can um, use it for good. How do, how do people find, I mean, you're out there, it's pretty easy to find, but if, if people were, you know, um, like I am fascinated by, you know, your conversations and, and the way you think about the problems, if they wanted to reach out to you, how would they find sure. you? Sure. Um, so professionally, they can hit me on LinkedIn, just search for Tracy Bannon, you'll see the pink hair. Uh, you can also hit up my, my. it's a my email, not my home email, but I have an email for just for this. It's trace, T-R-A-C, at tracybannon.tech. Hit me up at an email. Um, always glad to hop on phones with folks. I have my calendar online and I set time aside so that we can just have these conversations and noodle a bit. Yeah, that that, that would be the main way. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll definitely see you at RSA. Yes. So I'll be good. And um, yeah, no, this was uh, this was great. I really enjoyed it. So, Thank you so much. I appreciate the invite. Sure, sure.